Hey everybody, welcome to episode 48 of Waking Up to Narcissism. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and host of the Virtual Couch Podcast. And I think I've done this a time or two before, but I highly recommend that you go listen to this week's Virtual Couch episode. I talk about a concept called nonviolent communication that I think is another one of those that is just going to add to the aha moments and the list of things that just will make so much sense. And I try to talk about a couple of concepts I think that can really add tools to your tool belt when you are dealing with the emotionally immature, or even if you're one of the people that is waking up to your own narcissism. So that's just a little bit of a teaser, but go find the waking, no, this is waking up to narcissism. Go find the virtual couch episode for this week. And I am really close to announcing the launch of the Magnetic Marriage podcast. It is going to be the first week of December, and it looks like we're going to try to put a sale on coming up at the end of November. So get ready for that. It's going to be a subscription-based podcast. I say this, I think, with every episode episode now, but there are more and more episodes that I've recorded and they are real coaching calls with couples, anonymous couples. And we've had a couple of people now even come back and talk about some of the things that they've struggled with or worked on since the first time that we spoke. And I just think if you have been to couples therapy, couples counseling, couples coaching, and have not felt like that has been the best experience that uh, you had had hoped it would be, or if you would like to go and you have a spouse that is not interested, I really think it's going to give you an idea of what it can look like. And I swear almost every session, almost every coaching call, there are some things being uncovered and there is some deep emotion and it is beautiful. So go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter and you'll be one of the first to find out or follow me on different social media platforms. That would be great. So today I'm doing something a little bit different, but I am very excited about introducing you to who I would now call a new friend. And her name is Michaela Renee Johnson. And Michaela is also a marriage and family therapist. And she, if you go to her website, and I'll link this in the show notes, but she says about 75% of her caseload is couples. She's uh, on her bio. She's an avid adventurer. She's traveled to 20 plus countries, but also on her bio, she talks about being a licensed tailwheel pilot who flies a 1947 Piper supercruiser aptly named Pop-Tart that you can find on her social media. And as you'll hear in this interview, we actually live really close together. And I, when I started looking at her social media accounts, then I realized she flies out of an airport that is very near to my home. So I thought that was really fascinating that we had no idea where the other person was located and we are very close and yet we weren't aware of each other. Michaela asked me to come on her podcast and I was very excited about that, but I really thought that we were going to come on and talk about four pillars of a connected conversation. And I don't know, I wasn't even really sure, but I was excited. Her podcast is called Be You Find Happy and I come on the episode and then she was very open, incredibly vulnerable and talked about narcissism and talked about even as a therapist, the not knowing what she didn't know. And she opened up about some of the challenges that she's had in relationships. And so the interview, I just felt that it was such a an amazing opportunity to connect and talk about her real life experiences. And she's listened to a lot of the Waking Up to Narcissism episodes. And so she had amazing questions. She had real life experience. And then I felt like we just locked into this, I don't know, therapist to therapist vibe. And so I wanted to offer that to the Waking Up to Narcissism listeners. So if you get a good vibe and you like what you hear from Michaela, I highly recommend that you go check out her podcast, Be You Find Happy, and go to her website, which is MichaelaRenee.com. She has a book and the book is Growth Mindset. It's a workbook for adults. 
And she just has a lot of content out there as well. I I look forward to collaborating with her more because I know that she is someone who works in the mental health world and she's being very open and vulnerable about the challenges that she's had in, in her own relationships. And I think that that just shows that, man, we are, we can all be going through this and it's okay to be open and it's okay to, to talk about things and to seek help. And with that said, let me get to this interview. And this was me on Michaela's podcast on the BU Find Happy podcast. All right. Good morning, Tony. Oh my goodness. I have to, I just have to like have full transparency and tell you that I have been giddy excited for this podcast, like <laughs> anticipating it for weeks. Oh, stop. I, oh, I, no, I've listened to like <laughs> half of the episodes of your podcast in a matter of three weeks. I, it's insane. I love it. And um, I'm really excited to dive into what we're going to talk about today. And so for the listeners, guys, Tony is an incredible psychotherapist in the Sacramento, California area, but he's got all sorts of programs for married couples. And more importantly, what I've been taking a lot of interest in is the neuroscience of narcissism. And he's oh, got an entire go. yeah. podcast about that. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your backstory with the listeners and, uh, and then we'll dive into my questions and I will try to have brevity because I have so many. Oh, I'm, I'm down. And hopefully we can, I love tangents. And if I go off on one, you have full permission to bring me right back to the present. <laughs> and, and I have to tell you what's been fun for me is I've done what I think people don't ever like to admit, but I've gone and listened to your podcast. And then I realized that you're a pilot and I've got a son-in-law that is learning to become a pilot. And then I think we're actually very close to each other in vicinity. Which is kind oh of wow, that's awesome! Yeah. Yes, I, like I, I know that the airport uh, that I actually run around there a lot. So, um, wow. so I've been yeah, and you as a therapist, and now I feel like I have to be a pilot now to keep up. And so, <laughs> I'm excited as well. That's so, exciting. Okay, well, so, lots to talk well, about. So this will probably be the first of many that I, I love having I so. repeat guests. <laughs> Same. And then I'll have you on and, and that sort of thing. So so the background, uh, I love that you asked that because I love that um, I listened to one of your episodes where you were really talking about uh, self-help and, and that whole concept of what if we aren't broken? What if we're okay? That sort of thing, which is such a platform of mine as well. So I, I went right out of college not knowing what I didn't know. And I jump into a, a career in tech in the computer industry and not even understanding of how much I dreaded and did, did not like my career. And so whenever I would go speak somewhere, I did a lot of speaking. I worked trade shows and I really liked the connection with people, which I know sounds so cliched for us therapists, right? But I loved knowing what made people tick. And so I would find myself having more of a conversation with the people that were helping us set up the booth than I would the guys coming in to talk about nerdy computer things that I was trying desperately to, to hang on to or understand so I could sell another widget or whatever that looked like. And, and meanwhile, I'm dying inside and I would go, so see, you will know this area, uh, McKilly, really well. I would go to a taco tree restaurant up in, uh, up in Auburn and I would get the super nachos. I would go down to this parking lot of a Denny's and I would listen to Dr. Laura Schlesinger while I ate my <laughs> My taco treat. And I did that for so long, just, you know, and then I would go right back to the computer place I worked in software. And then finally I just said, okay, this is, this is horrible. This is miserable. And meanwhile, I've been writing a humor column in a local newspaper for almost a decade. And I had a, I had started having kids. I mean, my wife had them and, but I was involved in that as well. And so then I started <laughs> writing about being a dad, you know, and I said, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book about being a dad. And then I thought, who is going to listen to me? I have no letters behind my name. So then between 
Dr. Laura and wanting to write a book, I went back and got my master's in counseling. And, and then I honestly didn't realize that during the process of getting your master's, you actually had to start seeing clients. So when it was time <laughs> to do that, you know, that practicum, I thought, oh, go oh, crap. So I started seeing clients and then lo and behold, I thought, oh, this, this is it. You know, this is the thing. And that was uh, 18, 19 years ago. And then since then, um, I have just been on this trajectory of I had no idea that you could actually like what you do. And if you like what you do, then you actually are, are reading about it and watching shows about it and talking to other people about it. That's why I'm excited to talk to you. And so what that career did or that trajectory did, though, is I had this uh, grandiose vision of, of helping every you know man in the world become a better husband and father. And, and it was funny in grad school, everybody would hear that. And, and I felt like it sounded so noble. And then my teachers would often chuckle. And, and I didn't know why. And then I learned later that because guys don't go to therapy. So then, you know, where, where are these guys I'm going to help? Right. And so then what I start doing is I, I start getting a lot of addiction, uh, compulsive sexual behavior, uh, impulse control disorder, you know, um, people that are using pornography as a coping mechanism yeah. and they can't stop. And so then I, so I start working in that field and then, uh, you know, this was a while ago. And so it was so full of like, uh, a lot of shame-based techniques and you know how bad this is and and have you ever thought about just knocking it off and and I'm thinking this isn't working either and so then I just started realizing and this I promise I'm getting to a, to a point here but I started thinking okay I can tell people to sing a song or do push-ups and that doesn't really work so I started looking at what I started calling voids and so these guys I'm working with I said okay why do they turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms be it porn or drinking or gambling or work or whatever and I start identifying I feel like it's when they're not connected in their marriage or or their parenting or their health or maybe their faith or maybe their career so then I start going out and and then well I better know how to deal with those things and so we wouldn't talk so much about the you know the compulsion or the unhealthy coping mechanism but I start finding a evidence-based couples model and I find a parenting model and I find a way to navigate faith crisis. And I find that, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this, this is cool. And so then you start seeing people slowly change. And I never, cause I saw in your bio, you, you've done a lot of couples work. And initially if I had one or two couples a week, I thought, oh, what a nightmare. You know, I never want to be a couple therapist. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, if I, if I want to help guys be better husbands and fathers, that means that I actually have to do couples therapy. So I start digging deep into emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And yeah, then I feel Mark- like, Right. Yeah. Okay. So the best yeah. is the best. It, well, and it, it makes sense. Like I know that I, I mean, I feel like we're kindred souls and some of the things that I've listened to you talk about and I feel like, okay, enough with just the, and how do you feel about that? And what did he say? And what did she say? And I just thought, I feel like I could help people reflectively listen, but then I had to sit back and say, Oh, I don't know. Now you guys figure it out. Like I did my part, you know, my work is done. And I feel like EFT finally gave me a way to, to have a framework to see if people could communicate well. So yes. then I started seeing, Right. So then I start seeing couples, couples, and all of a sudden I'm seeing 15, 20 couples a week, 25 couples a week. And then here's, here's where it comes in, Michaela. So then all of a sudden, you know, I've developed my own kind of tools based off of EFT. I've got these four pillars of a connected conversation and and they're gold. And I keep going back to this framework, but I would notice that maybe 70% of couples or 60, 70% can, can see that, oh, we didn't know what we didn't know. And now we communicate more effectively and they ride off into the sunset there's like 25, 30% where something's just not right. You know, uh, this guy can't play in the sandbox. He's so special that he's going to let me know, Hey, when you hear how bad she is and how amazing I am, then you'll put those four pillows of your ears. You'll put them, you know, somewhere. And then, and then we can all gang up on her and let her know how bad she is. And, and I was like, what in the heck is that? You know, what, why can't these people play in the same sandbox? And, 
And why are they so, why do they feel like their situations are so unique or special that they're above therapy, they're above the tools, you know, and I realize, oh, um, they now will leave therapy and they will wait until they find a therapist that will just agree with them. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. Right? I yep. know you're vibing on this. I know you are. And yep. so then, <laughs> so then, so then I start looking at that. Um, I did a couple of podcasts. I had a lady on so early named Tina uh, Fuller and she had a book called It's My Turn. It was about growing up with a narcissistic parent. And then, you know, I get off the, I, I interview her and then I realized, oh, wow, I was basically just doing an interview session, um, it, almost as if she was my therapist. So, you know, we, we talk off the, off the call there and I start thinking, holy cow. And I start recognizing my own narcissistic traits and tendencies and the narcissistic patterns and family systems. And then all of a sudden it was like something just uncorked. And from that day forward, if I did a podcast about narcissism, I mean, it was five, 10,000 downloads more. So then I'm doing more of them. Then I'm getting asked to go talk about it on more podcasts. Then I'm speaking yeah. about it places. I'm testifying in court cases about it. And then, and then I, you know, start this waking up the narcissism podcast. And then, it, and by the time I'm doing that, I'm now to maybe 12, 1300 couples and probably now 30 because of what the work I do, 30, 40% of them have, you know, emotional immaturity or narcissistic traits and tendencies. And so now I sound like some genius, but it's because they're so, you know, the emotionally, emotionally mature narcissist is so textbook that it's like, Oh, I, I know how this will play out. And so, so I don't know, hopefully that answered the question. Um, oh, I know when it I'm did. And, I, and I'm like trying to jot notes because you're talking, um, going all the way back to when you said the super nachos at taco tree, cause that's my personal ah, order yeah. as well. So oh, oh, see? <laughs> like Telling we can, we can just start yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there we go. So, you know, you're talking about the emotionally focused therapy and I had started kind of my career in, in family systems and, uh, really started to witness this dynamic playing out with the children that had nothing to do with the children. And it was all about what was happening in the, in the parenting and in, in the, in the coupling of the, the, the parents. And so, uh, you know, I was kind of leaning towards doing this couple's work in the context of the family system. Like, Hey, I'm going to have you guys get some childcare for the kiddos. You guys come in, let's sit down, let's talk about, you know, what your understanding of what's happening with the kids is. And then these dynamics, would play out in the session where it's like, oh, oh okay, this is what's happening. This is why we're seeing these patterns of behaviors with the kids. And so I started to kind of like you look for a structure or a framework that would help me okay. to better parent or, or to better counsel couples in the parenting context. And I found the emotionally focused and it was like a light bulb went off. It's like, okay, now I've, now I can focus on some training. I can kind of dive into this. And I did all of that. Um, and that's yeah. about the time uh, shortly after that, the couples Institute of the Barrier reached out to me and they do developmentally focused for some people listening. This, this might be kind of mumbo jumbo, but, um, you know, it's, it's basically an emotionally focused with a, with an even additional structure added onto it. Not unlike what you just Okay. with your four pillars. And yeah. So, yeah. And so there's, there's just a whole lot there and it has been absolutely fascinating. I have definitely found my niche and I've worked in just about everything. I've, I've done the 5150, you know, um, suicide wow. calls to the hospitals, worked at the psychiatric health facility. I've, I've done the whole gamut, really found my niche in this couple's um, component. And not unlike you, I started seeing things playing out now in couples oh, work yeah. where I had this one client that was so perplexing and I was so incredibly triggered. Um, you mm -hmm. know, the counter transference for me was just 
amazing. And what I started to realize in the session was the way in which I was walking on eggshells. And and I, I started to realize like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to dive into this a little bit. I've got to find out what's coming up for me here. And in that, um, my entire world flipped upside down. I mean, it changed every component of my life, not just my professional life. It changed my, my personal life. It's a story I have not really shared. There are people close to me, a handful of people close to me that know the real depth of everything. And then there's, you know, this, this following on social media that gets snippets of things I share, but they don't know in the context of what. And, um, so I, I, I have kind of this air of mystery that I'm still kind of holding on to. And the reason I say that, you know, I recently did a book signing for the new book and, uh, growth mindset. And I got asked by a long time, you know, kind of follower of the work I've done, the the books I've written and stuff. Is there a book coming out on what you've been going through? Mm. And my answer was, I never say never, but the answer right now is that I don't have enough grace to speak that truth. I mean, it's just, it's just the bottom line about it, right? Like I have so many emotions surrounding everything still that I can't find that space of graceful, loving kindness to present to present it at all. So I well, just, Michaela, it's, it's, well, it's interesting. And I so appreciate you saying that. Cause you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's so funny. I, I thought, huh, I wonder what that backstory is. And, and so I'm, I, so I'm saying that because I don't know your story, but part of this waking up the narcissism podcast, and I don't know if you've heard me talk on there, but I've got a, a women's group uh, for women in, in relationships yes. with narcissistic fill in the blank. So I just leave it at that entity, mom, sibling, kid, uh, institution, whatever. And it's now four or 500 women and it's thriving, but it's so amazing because I feel like the work I'm trying to do is meet somebody where they're at because it is such a process of you didn't know what you didn't know. Then you know, and it's hard to take action on it. Then you start to take action on it, but the default is still to not because you've been through what you've been through. And then, and then eventually it just becomes part of who you are, you know, to, to kind of um, remove yourself from that, that chaos and madness. But then I feel like the stuff we're learning even more about the Bessel van der Kolk stuff about the body keeps the score is, yes. is you know, yes. you, you can fight the triggers and the, the visceral reaction. And, and part of the EFT work that I went back and looked at was the, our emotions fire, what two and a half times faster than our logic. And I feel like with people that have been in an emotionally abusive or, or spiritually abusive and physically abusive and gaslighting and, and all that, that I, I swear that their emotional, uh, their emotions must run about 10 times ahead of their logic because of a way to protect. So I feel like what you're, you know, I, right. Well, I could, I could tell you so much about that. First of all, uh-huh. I listened to your podcast on the neuroscience component, because one of the things I was actually working through at the time, um, uh-huh. which I, I found your podcast through my own personal psychotherapist, by the way. So that's, so that's, oh, well, a whole that's nother so, thing. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, but I was listening to your episode on that. I've read the body keeps the score a million times in a different okay. context, not, yeah. uh, not within my own life, right. As a therapist that's helping right, others. Right. And, um, to your point about that too, when I started my master's program, I was like, oh, becoming a therapist is really about fixing yourself. <laughs> and, uh-huh. you, know, you go through all these classes and you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was listening to the body Kips and score episode and I was, what, what I was personally experiencing was these, um, instantaneous anger, uh, like just zero to 100 and in and, and anger and and that is not my go-to response it doesn't feel good to me um and yeah. so for me it's like 
gosh, why do I have zero capacity to even spend a brief amount of time with this person? I mean, mm-hmm. zero capacity, right? And um, listening to that episode that that you had, I, it puts so much in context that, you know, basically for over a decade, my body was picking up on all of these subconscious, don't kill Absolutely. yourself, survive, yes. you know, here's yeah. it, the, the no kill organ, as you call it, I think. Um, yeah, just, uh, your brain's a don't get killed device. It's going to do the don't get killed device. Yes. 12 years of all these, um, subconscious inputs where my body's protecting me. Um, and, and it makes sense now that now that I'm removed and out of kind of what I describe as like a numbness paralyzation, I'm feeling again, right? Like I'm feeling all these things. And so it makes sense that I can feel anger finally. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh man, Michaela, that's, no, that's beautifully said. And it's funny that I just, this stuff is so, it makes so much sense. But then what I love is the, still the concept of, I still, I know that I don't know what I don't know. And I just did an episode a couple of weeks ago on the amygdala hijack. And now that's blown my mind because, you know, people will just say, well, help me regulate myself or my emotions in that moment. And I realize now, yes. and, and you can maybe tell I use way too much. Well, no, I use an appropriate amount of humor for me because that's who I am. But I, my go-to is, okay, the best thing you can do is find somebody that's exploring time travel, go back a couple of years, start practicing meditation because in that moment, you weren't even aware of that. That's what that was. Your amygdala so- is saying protection, right? There's Tony, nothing I was in that moment. Yeah. I, towards the end of this particular relationship, I was spending three hours a night in my sauna meditating. Oh, wow. Three okay. hours just to bring my cortisol level to a manageable Absolutely. existence. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And I see it now so clearly, but then I thought it was, I was self-helping and I was all in the new age world at the time and all this and that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really thought I was nailing life, right? Like I was <laughs> yeah. able to do this. But, um, but so what's, what's funny about that is after I listened to your, that particular episode, I got an email and you know, the phones are always listening, whatever, but I got an yeah. email from Pezzi about a body keeps the score neuroscience. Oh, that- Training. I was like, well, obviously this is for me. Because <laughs> okay, but so, all right, I need a, I need a piece of that pesky though. Like, I, I got to get my beak wet a little bit. Look at that. Right? You listen to my podcast, and now they're getting the training. Come on, all right. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> wild? You, yeah, yeah, it's going the wrong direction. You need the kickback. Yeah, Where's your exactly. percent? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so there's that. There's that component of things. But um, what I think is really spectacular that that I that I like. Um, oh, and one more thing I want to touch on before I migrate yeah. to that is that I love how you use the term, um, emotionally mature versus, uh, you know, yes, because for me, even as a psychotherapist, that term narcissism, it was so gross to me, right? Like it just felt like dirty or like attacky or like, I don't, I can't even describe it, but I avoided that like the plague in my own psychotherapy practice. Now I have this terminology that feels so much gentler for me as like a more empathic kind of a person. Um, And I've been using that a lot more frequently. And it's really interesting to see the ways in which my own clients kind of settle into that term too. It feels better to them as well. Well, and I so appreciate that because I want you to know that, that, that I honestly, I, I'm pretty open about my ADHD and I, I love just being impulsive and I'll come in, I'm in 450 episodes or 340 episodes of the virtual couch. And some mornings I come in and just say, what am I going to talk about? But I've been real intentional with the waking up to narcissism podcast, even down to the title, because it's not only waking up to the narcissism in the relationship, but it's, you know, my own narcissistic traits and tendencies, which I was intentional about talking about 
But I had a move that about 10 episodes in where I had an episode that says, am I the narcissist? And I, and I very intentionally um, introduced the concept of emotional immaturity because narcissistic personality disorder is maybe 2% of the population, but we talk about it like it's, you know, everybody's a narcissist. So I, I, I was, I'm right there with you because even though that's the work I'm doing, it does, it carries such a, uh, like a, it carries such a reaction. And so once I, that was so intentional. And so now I talk about emotional immaturity and, and I feel like we can all take ownership of ways or places that we're emotionally immature. And that's what I love about the the highly sensitive person or the empath who finds themselves in this um, trauma bond or this, you know, they call it human magnet syndrome with a, a, a narcissist or, or a severely emotionally immature person. And so then, because I feel like the, the nice person almost inevitably says, wait a minute, am I the narcissist? To which my number one rule is no, because you literally ask yourself the question, it means you're not. But then I feel like, okay, emotional immaturity might might be a better way to to say, okay, I, I can, I can put words around when I react a certain way or because you can grow from that. And so I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's been a big shift in, in just having people talk more about it just out in, out in the world. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, during my first introduction to these things, it was like Dr. Romney and Jackson McKenzie's mm-hmm. whole again and psychopath free. And, um, you know, through that process, that question came up for me so much. I mean, it was like, yeah. okay, is this it? But you talk about the textbook and it's literally like I'd flip the chapter and go, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to yeah. be kidding me. And then what I've come to find, even in the past month and a half, mm-hmm. there were still things that I said, oh, no, that wasn't me, though. Not that one, that one, that one thing in this one chapter, that one doesn't fit me. Come to find out, oh yeah, it did. You just didn't see it. You just didn't even okay. know. Yeah, it, you know, yeah, it's I see what you're like, saying. Yes. Gosh, yeah. and that's when I was having that anger kind of flaring up, like, gosh, how much, how much have I lost? So, so the second mm-hmm. component to all of this um, that I've really found so I was so grateful for was you've done a couple of episodes on what is a healthy relationship, right? Like, what does that look like? Because I think people who are coming out of certain types of relationships like this get confused. Like, am I just being love bombed? Am I just, you know, what it, what it, in what context is this normal? And in what context is this not? Because, you know, I think you said something about the picker being broken type of a deal. Yep. Yep. People, people ask me all the time that they're like, well, my picker must be broken. And, And I think, Okay, that's a, I mean, bless your brain's pink, squishy heart, but that's a story it's trying to tell you because it's scary to go back out there and test the picker. But you've got all this new data, and and now it's time to find out what a real relationship looks like. But then I worry people don't do the work, and they just go, they do go repeat the same pattern. So I love that you're bringing this up. Oh, my gosh. And I think to your point, right, the unself-helping, right, the, this is the part yeah. of things that I have been really struggling with and really trying to identify just as a general overall theme is I spent 12 years of my life fixing myself to fit into a mold that was never, still never good enough, right? Like that was my story and, and I allowed it. Why? And then I, and then I think, okay, and so in what ways do I need to unself-help, but in what ways do I need to continue self-helping to to grow from this experience, right? There's this gentle balance that I'm trying to find of like, uh, it's, it's crazy. And 
Well, Michaela, what I, what I so appreciate about that is I know I make it sound so easy, but then I like the joke of, you know, I've only been a therapist for 17 years and have seven years of mindfulness and I've ran 150 ultra marathons. So that's all you got to do to finally calmly <laughs> make it down. Right. Um, no big deal. Not, not a problem. Cause I love saying that, you know, I wish I would have figured a lot of these things out before I was, I'm 52 now. And I wish I would have figured it out in my twenties or thirties or forties. And I still find myself beating myself up. And then I, have to just note that and say, yeah, yeah, that would have been something, huh? But anyway, you know, here I am. And, and I realize I try to make it sound so easy, but it's like, oh yeah, that just takes a lot of time, but it, but it is, people can get there. It positively absolutely does. And so when I have moments where like a lot of pain flares up for me, what it's actually mm-hmm. surrounding is that it's surround. I had it, I had it happen this morning. Okay. This is, I'll give you, I'll share a little I'll give okay. a little sneak peek to the audience here. But, <laughs> I love um, it. You know, so I'm laying in in bed with my partner. I mm-hmm. receive um, I receive a- immense positive love, kindness, generosity. You know, mornings with you are amazing. Love the things we can talk about. The hugs, the kisses, all the things. I get all the all the positive affirmations in the world that you could ever imagine. Really looking forward to what unfolds for our weekend. All the things, right? Yeah, yeah. And a, and it's a simple thing. It's it's a text message that that comes in on the phone from a number that's not saved. Right? It's this simple. Oh, yeah. It's this simple. And my body instantly goes into this oh. rearing back, safety protective. What is this? You know, like I didn't yes. respond with that, but this is what's happening in my body. And I take a deep breath and, uh, he's finishing his thought and conversation, whatever. It doesn't even face him. It's not because it's not a thing, right? There's nothing yeah. there. So he has no reaction because it's not no. a thing. Yeah. And I let him finish his thought. And I say, I want to share something with you. And, and he says, okay, what I said, I have a story right now. And he says, okay, what's your story? And I said, my story is that you're engaging with a woman and she's reaching out to you at six o'clock in the morning and she just texted mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And he said, and he looks at me and he says, that must be so hard for you. Oh, and I was gosh. like, almost find in this guy? That's years. Incredible. Right? Yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> oh what? that's a whole nother dialogue. <laughs> but I'm almost in oh. tears by his capacity for compassion. Right. And like how he just literally just like puts his arm around me, pulls me in close he goes, I guarantee you it's a telemarketer, opens his phone and reads it. Hello, we've got an Adel grant for da, 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 da. Just, just to, just to calm my central nervous system. Yeah. Michaela, I feel like, I, I feel like I need you involved in I have so many projects I want to do around this. And it's like, I mean, I, you know, we, we can do a role play, which I'm horrible at, but if I play the role of the emotionally immature guy and that one is like, Oh, you think I'm having an affair? Well, I, I, <sighs> how do I how do I know you're not? You know, <laughs> and then it gets too. turned. Yes, oh, this is my right? experience for a decade, yeah. and and so yes, exactly. And then it turns out, oh, it's because actually everything that I thought was happening was happening. And I was oh, just good being point, right? Because it is. You you're like, oh. body. no, no, no. He said he's not. And as a matter of fact, yeah, I'm I, am I, the really one? I, I didn't think I was, but I, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. So that's such I, a good example. It's yeah. wild. And and so here's the gentle calming moment. And, and I literally, and then I had this immense pain afterwards. And I, and I looked at my partner and I said, when does this part stop? Mm-hmm. You know, when does this part of sheer panic and fear and everything that turns into everything else stop? When does it subside? And he said, 
it's going to take time, sweetheart. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, but, but it's, I, I, you know. But, well, Michaela, that what can I just kind of jump in there and frame for you? Yes. And then I want to, and I don't, I want to then take this episode and, and do a bonus one on mine so my people can under, get to know you and because and, I really like your vibe and the energy. And, and so, so what I love that you were saying is we don't even know what a healthy relationship looks like. And, and so in that scenario, when you're saying how long will this take, this is where I, I love in emotionally focused therapy. Sue Johnson says we're designed to deal with emotion in concert with another human. But when you're dealing with somebody that's emotionally immature, all of a sudden it becomes about them and their fragile ego. And so then our visceral reaction is that, okay, I, I, I want to process things, but I can only process certain things in certain times. And I have to do it in a way that he's going to be okay with. And that's too many, that's just too many variables. And so our body's just like, well, I'll do it later. And then eventually we feel like we've lost our sense of self. And then all of a sudden now he's saying, you never open up to me. And, and it just, you can see how it just convoluted it gets and how quickly that happens. And so my, my whole thing, my four pillars are, are, you know, and your, your partner did it so well. I mean, it's natural. It sounds like for him, but the, the first one is assuming good intentions or there's a reason why somebody's going to say something. So if they're saying, man, let me share this with you, right? A text comes in and here's where I go in my train of thought. What a powerful thing to have somebody assume good intentions. They're not trying to hurt you. They're, they're your partner. And my second pillar is you can never say, well, that's ridiculous or because unless you want the conversation to, to devolve. And then that third pillar is how about you ask questions before making any comments? Well, tell me what that's like. And that must be hard. And, and then the fourth pillar is to stay present and not go into a victim mentality. If he would have then said, okay, well, I guess I'll just never uh, have my phone on again, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's, and I feel like people don't even know that that framework exists and mm-hmm. your experience is so good because like, how did you know, like you say that felt so good. And, oh, I was like, where was I going with this? But, but when you were saying, um, how long will it take? It will take, I will throw one cliche and then real data here. It'll take as long as it takes, which is true, but then it will be so much less time when you can, you can share something and have somebody validate it, empathize with it, and then, and then sit there with you because now it won't be as scary in your brain, right? And then you'll be able to, now, you know, now you'll be able to, I always say, I take my wife on my train of thought all the time and she's like, oh man, tell me more, right? Not the, well, what does that mean about me? Right. Right. How does this negatively affect me? Yeah. And what's really beautiful is when I had a moment to kind of come down from the central nervous system component, which took a minute. I, what I said to him was, I said, you know, the, the reality and the truth of it is I know on some fundamental level that even if it was some ex or some, you know, buddy uh-huh. that like you haven't talked to in forever, that's like, Hey, what's up? What you up to? I, I know on some fundamental level, it would have been, Hey, in a committed relationship, great to hear from you. You know, like it wouldn't even right. be a thing. Yeah, like, great point. Great point. But, yeah. but I, I can't even get to that spot. I couldn't even get to that spot for a minute. You know what I mean? Which is amazing. Yeah. So I think that, um, I've had a lot of these little, these little kind of incidents that create a lot of sadness for me because of the, the weight of them. And, um, I'm working through that, but, but one of the things that I have, have had thoughts about, and I know that a lot of people are having thoughts about this. It's like the prevalence you, you kind of touched on this earlier. Why does it seem is it just like the situation where it's like you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you see the new car everywhere? Oh or, my gosh. Yes. Great. Great. No, great. Idea. That is such a, that is such a, the confirmation bias. That is such a good um, example of that because, and I call it, there's an episode I did early on in the narcissism one and it's that narcissist awareness grief. They call it nag. 
And then it's, uh, it's kind of like those, right. It's like the stages of grief and loss, but there's an, and you know, there's a couple other components of it, but, and it really is, there's a book called Buddha brain that I love. And, and that's where I got that concept of where you weren't even aware of what you weren't aware of. And then that's like this, his first step on, I think he calls it like your path of awakening or path of enlightenment. But then he talks about that now you're aware and you can't do anything about it and you start seeing it all the time. And, and he talks about that that's the place that so many people get stuck and then they wish I could just go back to not knowing. But no, you, you can't and really you don't. But then, but then that's the part where people get so scared and they aren't trying to find the right tools or they get in with a bad, you know, a bad therapist or they're listening to their Switzerland friends or like, well, you know, there's two sides to every story or he's got a point too. And so they, they get stuck in that what's wrong with me phase. And you got to move on to that phase of like, okay, now I'm starting to, to take action about this. And so then what it feels like to be you is that, okay, I'm, I am more aware. Like that's an acceptance. And now I recognize that, oh, that this, what a pattern this is. And then I start to make sense of things. Of it. And when I do this, then I'm, I know eventually my amygdala is going to calm down and I'm going to turn to some value-based activity that matters to me not be able to do those things because I had to wonder if, if that would be okay or if he would get mad or, and then, and then that's that, you know, that path of alignment. Then the third phase of that is now you're doing that more than you're not. And then the fourth, when you're really, you know, enlightened, then it's like, Oh, what it feels like to be you is I am noticing him. I am noticing him gaslighting me. That is, that's interesting, but I'm going to go ahead about my business. And, and then that just feels so empowering. So I love what you're saying because it is confirmation bias. It's now this awakening. It's this, Oh my gosh. And I feel like that's such a hard place to be because I want to just tell people, hey, you're doing great. I mean, this is part of the, the way it works. And, you know, and, and you might even find yourself going back into the relationship. I call it a rule out because you think, no, no, now with this data, I can go back. I got it figured out. But then every time you go back in, oh, he did it again or it happened again, you know, and, and that's just a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So to touch on a couple of really important things that you, that you brought up, um, one of the things you mentioned earlier that I, and and then you just were kind of touching on it is the, the flow of emotions. And I think this is the reason I have a hard time speaking about it. And one of the things that I've really realized is that I think people that are on the receiving end of, or, uh, or the more mature partner, right. In the relationship cycle, I think that they do so well at protecting, enabling, et cetera, the less emotionally mature person Mm -hmm. that by the time they start to get the strength to leave, everybody in their life is like, well, what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? You know, you're talking about the Switzerland friends. I can handle the Switzerland friends. (laughs) The ones that are like, well, but why? Well, I don't understand. Why can't you just this? Those are the ones that are troublesome. You know, the, the, the people who are completely blindsided by your own efforts to protect and shield are the ones that are most difficult, I think. Well, and they, and they are, Michaela, and, and the couple of the episodes, and I've got in my women's group, I've, I've put another call out to uh, get examples of this, but I do episodes called Death by a Thousand Cuts, and, and because it's so many little things, but if you try to describe the little things, then people will just say, hey, well, that doesn't sound that bad. So why would, why would you leave? And I think that's maddening for people. Absolutely. Right. Like how do you quantify in a very simple and concise way, what has been all of those death by a thousand cuts? Absolutely. And I, and the other thing is uh, Dr. Romani said something pretty powerful. I loved one of her episodes. She said, it's like hugging a porcupine, leaving one of these relationships. You have to do it very carefully. And the reason is because 
of that trauma bond. Yeah. You you yeah. alluded to that, you know, there you think in your mind one, I can fix this person or two, this person can change. And one of the things I really, I had written down on my notes to ask you about, because you did touch on this in an episode is it's two people of the same or similar upbringings that have different end Mm -hmm. paths that, that get here. And I was really curious. I wanted to better understand that. And I really wanted to better understand this concept, especially for empathic people that are like, everybody can change everybody Mm -hmm. who are the self-helpers of the world that, you know, I'm fixing myself. They can fix it. So touch on that a little bit if you could. No, thank you. And so let me, and I'll, I'll take two steps back and to say, when you really look at narcissistic personality disorder, and then I say that then, and then move from there on a spectrum of, of now leading into emotional maturity, that it's really this name of a, of, co- of a series of coping strategies that starts from, in essence, childhood family situations. And that can be trauma, it can be abandonment, it can be abuse, it can be all kinds of things, but it's left the kid with unstable self-esteem. And then they typically don't have the ability to regulate self-esteem without external validation. That is so key, and we'll talk about that. And then often lower empathy. And so that's the part where the highly sensitive person maybe has the unstable self-esteem, and they still may want that external validation to know they're okay, but they have an increased amount of empathy because they've grown up, in, in essence, trying to read the room to kind of you know, see, okay, what am I looking at here? Is dad mad? You know, is the dog around? He yells at the dog. Did my brother pick things up? Is the house a mess? So they're taking in all this data, so it's going to almost naturally, uh, their, their little brains are going to evolve to just take in more data, and, and they're going to be just more sensitive and more sensory-driven. And but, but they still grew up in a home where they lacked the, the validation that we need as kids. And this is where, when and you maybe heard me talk about it on some of the episodes, but I've got, I've got a speech, and I won't go into it right now, but taking us right back to the womb. You know, we exit the womb, and we are designed... We, we need our needs to be met. I mean, we have to have them met or we die as little babies. The little babies have smelled good and they're adorable. So if they cry, we go take care of their needs. But then, you know, we once after that, the gloves are off. And all of a sudden, a kid has to, they must find a way to get their needs met. And if they grow up in a home where there's not a lot of uh, positive um, uh, environment or, or external validation, if they're basically just kind of playing off of however the mood mom and dad are, um, then they're going to, they, you know, do they become the fixer? Do they become the, the star athlete or the, the student? Or do they, how do they, how do they get their needs met? And so then they grow up into a world where they're doing that in relationships where, you know, it's not who I am. It's who do I need to be to get this person to like me? Because if the person doesn't like me, then I, I may die in essence. And so I think that that's what is so fascinating of what you're saying. You start out kind of almost in a similar place, but then it can almost go one of two ways. And that's why those, those people often find themselves in relationships, the pathologically kind and the pathological narcissist, and they form that human magnet. Wow. I mean, that's really profound if you think about it. And it explains so much of why there feels there, it feels like there's this soul connection or this, you know, like sole purpose or something like that. Wow. That's really profound. Actually. Um, one of the things you said in one of your episodes was, uh, tension is where growth occurs and contention oh. is where destruction yeah. occurs, or it was something to that effect. I was trying yeah, to jot yeah. it down as I'm listening, you know, yeah. driving down the road. Um, and I really, I really loved that because one of the, one of the, I've had a couple of mantras on repeat. Um, uh-huh. and you know, one of them is, what is the intention? Like it's a, it's a question that I have to ask myself frequently, um, migrating through various different relationships because I feel like sometimes, 
you know, it's this interesting juxtaposition of trying to allow myself the, the freedom of expression and feeling that I'm having, uh, and not gaslighting my own emotions. Right. So, so trying to be mindful of, of not judging my own thoughts and emotions, but then also really trying to decipher rational thought via what is the other person's intention. Yeah, and, and, and you laid it out so well. And I didn't mean to cut you off if you got more there because that was that was so well said. But you got me all excited because that that makes sense of what I'm talking about. So we all then grow up and we're almost you know in this mix of abandonment and attachment is what I like to say. So it, so it's it's normal to find this like codependency and this enmeshment. And but then when we start going through life and we start uh, having jobs and kids and, and opportunities and, and loss and growth and now all of a sudden of course two people are going to start to have two different um, experiences and so an emotionally mature relationship they're going to both be able to express them and explore those emotions and that's going to be where growth will occur that's where you know the tension comes and that oh I didn't know you thought that but then but we are if, if our experiences I didn't know you thought that I can't believe you thought that you know, you shouldn't think that. And how do you think that affects me? Then I'm going to stay so far away from that. And I'm going to be saying, I don't know, what do you think? Oh, yeah, no, I, I think that too. I think that too. And then we try to convince ourselves, well, now I kind of have to think that because if not, it's, things are going to blow up. And so then, again, people just lose their sense of self. And meanwhile, the, the, the emotionally immature is the one that ends up doing most, you know, doing the gaslighting and then controlling the relationship because it is about control for them. And they, so they often feel like, no, well, things are great. You know, I talked her into, I talked her out of what she was thinking because it was dumb. Uh, and now she agrees with what I think. And meanwhile, no, she's losing her sense of self. And so at some point, right, that's where that whole body keeps the score vibe kicks in. People start finding themselves looking outside of the, the relationship to, to feel heard and understood and validated. And, and so then that, so now you start to try to help uh, somebody in that, the, the sensitive person speak their truth or speak up and it is going to come with a ton of invalidation and I think that's one of the hardest things and that's where that growth can occur though right that invalidation or the tension um, and once we realize that we're okay expressing ourselves and we watch the emotionally immature person go around all the circles they try anger they try sadness they try victimhood they try humor and if you hold your ground because this is how I believe um, it's it, that I feel like that's that's where the you know you start to really realize hey it's okay for me to have my own thoughts and feelings you know even if right so much validation and affirmation in everything oh. you just said and also triggered another thought which is mm. you know um, two years spent in counseling being told that you know I'm the one with all the problems or whatever and and what's interesting is I think that. I'm really cautious about this in my work as a couples therapist to make sure that um, I'm clued into picking up on things about, yes. you know, is one person taking on this position of, okay, yeah, it's me. I'm just going to sit here quiet. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, you know, being really mindful about that. And one of the things that, um, that I've, that I've come to realize is how much when people do extract themselves out of these relationships, they flourish. You're talking about that loss of sense of self. And it's like one, after you deal with the loss of time, right? Because that's a, that's a big thing. And sense of self, that's a big thing. Then you start to see them doing amazing things that were probably hopes and dreams that they'd had for years that they didn't allow themselves space to, to do at all, or they, or they weren't allowed space because they were threatened or, you know, et cetera. Because that made the other person feel less than, and that just shows the lack of uh, maturity in the partner. Yeah. 
It's wild. And one of the episodes, and, and this is part of the textbook thing that has me a little panicked, but one of the episodes you talked about, you know, kids and, and people staying in relationships for that and, yeah. and various reasons, right? All sorts of reasons. And I have a client right now who's actually in a space of, um, this is the the best financial choice of all things mm-hmm. considered for just where it's at. Yeah. And there's children involved and it was, you know, I'm staying together for the kids. And that narrative is heartbreaking mm-hmm. because yeah. it's, it's really incredible to see how the kids flourish too when, yeah. you know, they come out of that and how they're allowed to feel as well. They're allowed to be entitled to their emotions and have emotions and all of those things. And then they get this opportunity to see what a healthier relationship looks yeah. like. Even if the, even if the person never re-enters a relationship, right. They're, they're having a healthy yeah. relationship with themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think that that demonstration is amazing. And I know, um, I know for me getting healthy, um, in this context, the relationship that I thought was already a a beautiful relationship with my own son has turned into something more profound than I ever could have imagined as far as his emotional safety and things like that. So it's really, um, it's really interesting to see how people think they're doing something for the kids or they think they're doing something for the right reasons. And, and maybe that's the necessary reasons, but there's always another option, you know? And I think that, Oh, I love what you just said, the necessity, because uh, I had a lady in here yesterday that is now four years removed from a, a horrific narcissistic relationship with you know, her kids, and she said that at the time, it really was more of a survival, but now that she's away from it, that then she said now she can understand it would have been better the sooner the better, but she said in that moment, it's just you're in still such survival, and I, and I love that you're bringing this up because I feel like this is my next passion is to try to figure out how to communicate this because I know it can even sound like, well, who am I? I mean, I got into this to save families, not to, to break them apart, but then I felt like we're saving individuals though, that then they can grow and flourish. But, um, lately I've, I've thought, so I have no data to back this up back in my more emotionally immature days. I would have said, you know what research says, Michaela, and I would have hoped that I could probably could have found some, but I really feel like, you know, every kid gets their sense of self through external validation and who is there to give that to them? It's the parents. So if a kid grows up in a home, where the parent, that, that vibe is off, that whole energy is off because, uh, and I know today we're talking about as if every um, guy is the narcissist and I do work with some of the women, the clients where the women are the narcissist or the more emotionally immature. But in this scenario, when, when mom is trying to buffer the, for, for the kids so that, that he won't get mad at the kids, then the kids are missing out on that entire opportunity for true, legitimate, secure attachment and external validation because it's more, it is more survival. And I think what, to what you're talking about, I feel like I'm now starting to be able to put some words to when, when the healthy, when the emotionally more mature person like you in the scenario is now able to, to do and be and grow and flourish, guess who now can also give the kid a secure attachment and external validation? It's the healthy parent. And so then even if the kid has to now go interact with the still the emotionally immature or narcissistic parent, they're going to now see that for what it is. And I find so many of the kids as they grow older and teenagers and then adult children, they learn, okay, I can talk about surface things with, with, you know, dad in that scenario, but I go to mom for growth and I go to mom to have my, to, to share my thoughts and feelings and emotions. And, and, and so they thrive because they had, they had zero opportunity to do that when they were also, when they were the ones sitting in that highly sensitive person chair, trying to read the room themselves to see, you know, should I even bring anything up right now? It seems pretty tense. 
I don't know if that makes sense. Isn't that amazing though? And you're absolutely spot on. I mean, my son came into the bedroom a couple of nights ago and said, um, you know, mom, there's just something I really need to process. <laughs> that's amazing, right? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, obviously grew up with you know, the psychobabble world of totally. things, but, right. but, but the fact that, you know, we're, we're in that space where I feel safe enough to him that, you know, I love it. And it's, and it's really one of those things where, um, I talk, I talked, I hinted earlier on the pain and, you know, Mm. this is context where sometimes I just go, I thought I was being a good mom, you know, and, and it's just like, Oh, it feels like a knife in my chest. That's right. Man, see, look at me. I can't even like stop because I, I deal with that so often. And I just want to say, oh, bless your heart. And you didn't know what you didn't know. And you did the very best you can. And the fact that, you know, you and anyone that's listening, that it's feeling that it's so normal and it will get better. And then, you you know, the fact that somebody then starts finding the tools and it is they are slow to implement. And if you didn't start to uncover anger, I love how you said that earlier, because anger is OK, you know, but we're, we're telling ourselves to suppress it the whole time. And so I feel like now you get to feel the full range of emotions and they come with a lot of feelings. And so, oh, I just want to tell you, man, you know, anybody listening, they're going to identify with what you're talking about so much. And it's like, oh, you did you, you, you did what you did because that's what happened, <laughs> you know, and you didn't know what you didn't know until you did and all those things. And they're so true. So yeah, yes. Great compassion for that. I, I, I love that. And this is what I'm, and this is what I'm finding in this content in the, in the concept and context of coming back to the BU find happy podcast. Cause I had to take uh-huh. a break. I could not, I could not in my right mind, continue that podcast while I was going through a transition in life that was so emotionally heavy, you know, like with yeah. so much, I couldn't do it. I said, Nope, I, I need a minute. I need a minute. And (laughs) I'm so glad I did because I'm coming back in this way where I feel like I'm really speaking my truth gracefully and, and, and that it feels good to me to be in this alignment. And I know that there's so much growth that I have to do, but I'm, I'm coming at these episodes in such a different way than the podcast used to be. And, and just really having these conversations that are, uh, they have so much more breadth of depth and they have so much more, um, to leave people unpacking after they listen, you know, and, um, and I'm really, Michaela is real. I now it's funny because I listened to that episode of you coming back and and it made sense, but now it makes an insane amount of sense. I mean, because you're coming back to so much more authentic and and I feel that that's, that's, and, and now, you know what's funny is that that, ep- yeah. that episode got recorded in kind of a very subdued, not mm-hmm. my usual. Welcome to the BU. I'd have yeah, you know, yeah. like it was. And I was like, no, I recorded it, um, hesitated. It got edited. It was like, do I put this out? Do I? Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe this isn't how I want to come back. And I said, no this is how I'm coming back because this is about unpacking. That's what this is all about now, you know, and what is, what is help and what is self-help and what is unself-help and where's that at? And, you know, so I really feel, thank you for saying that because I well, struggled you know to put that episode out. No, and I have to tell you, I, I literally um, was listening to it and this is so funny the way that the, 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 everything kind of works, but I was literally, I was asked to submit a brief of potentially speaking at some podcast festival at the end of next year and so they and so I was thinking I'm going to pick any topic I want. And the po- topic I love to talk about is even as a podcast host, 
you have to start talking about things that you actually know or feel or, or want to talk about or else the listeners can tell. I mean, they just they know. If I want to start talking about, I don't know, um, gardening. I'm, I'm a horrible gardener, but if I know that <laughs> gardening is a hot topic and I'm like, hey, how about those gardens, everybody, huh? Tomatoes, like that's the thing. <laughs> Then people are going to be like, okay, hard pass, right? But And that's what I told you earlier. You know, I was in the computer industry for 10 years. I didn't even know that I could enjoy my, my career. And so now when I'm talking about anything on virtual couch or waking up with narcissism, it's because this is, this is so cool. And so I felt that, you know, and even though, like you say, it may have felt subdued and that sort of thing, but I, could, I knew it was real. And, and that's like, uh, that's, that's powerful. Ah, oh, thank you. And, and I'm, I'm loving the learning and unlearning that I'm doing through it. Right. So that's, <laughs> it's, that. it's yeah. been fun. It's been fun. Um, I am s- with such gratitude that you came on. I know you've got so many other things cooking and I just really appreciate that you took some time out to come on to this podcast and share, um, what has really been profound and powerful oh, for me. So thank you. No, Michael, I'm honored. And so please, um, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see I mean, immediately, actually, I've got a client in the waiting room but the second I can, I'm uh, I'm telling you this because this is how important it is. Not like you know I've got lots of clients, Michaela, but it's like I want to have uh, I want to have my assistant reach out to you and schedule something right away because I I feel like we could talk for days. And then I would love to hear on on my podcast on the virtual couch one of you coming back more authentic. And then if I can start coaxing you over onto that waking up to narcissism one, I feel like you could just you could help so many people just feel hurt and understood there. So I, I hope now I'm not making it too awkward for you. But I was no, I love that. Okay. I'll look, I'll look for the email from awesome. Naomi and, yes. and hopefully yes. we'll run into each other at the airport. That would oh, be fun. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally ran by it. I mean, this is too much insider baseball for people listening, but I literally ran by it while the air show was going on on Saturday. And I thought, ah! She's over there. I, I, I was, right. I was there. I was yeah. pimping rides for adventure yeah. flight. <laughs> I wish I, I, I was on a run and I thought, oh man, you know, anyway, you should have stopped by. I know. Right. But whenever we <laughs> again, okay. Michaela, what, what a joy. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Tony. And uh, listeners, we always include all the links in the show notes to check out his various amazing podcasts <laughs> and website, learn about him and all the things he's doing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.